you found it. It's the Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. The Armpit of Asia. It's me, Matt Bigelow, in the Toshihisa Studios in Shinjuku, Tokyo, Japan. And I am having what you are having. And if you want more of that, you can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com and get all of your podcasting needs there or uh, download a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. See what all the buzz is about. Get rid of those other apps. The 2.0 podcasting app revolution is here and is waiting for you. Uh, we just had a um, golden week here in Japan. We're recording this on May 8th, 2023. Golden Week is a series of holidays, national holidays, and depending on the job you have, the contract you have, sometimes you're working them, sometimes you're not. There's good points and bad points to both sides. The good point is you're working when everybody else is not working, so you don't have as much work to do. The bad thing is is that you're at work, which nobody wants to be doing, um, these days especially. Just give us the free money, give us the universal basic income, and just leave me alone. Okay, communist revolutionaries? Can you just give me the money and leave me alone? Um, uh, and the, the, the bad side to having all those days off is that everybody else has those days off except for the suckers who are working. So wherever you go, that seems like the place to go. Well, millions and millions of other people are also doing that exact same thing. Japan is quite the advanced little country, but it is constrained by its geographical um, shortcomings. A lot of mountains, little few arable land. So all of the roadways get squeezed with like 30 kilometer line traffic jams and stuff like that going on with these holidays. You try to go to a tourist spot and get like an ice cream cone, you end up waiting an hour and a half in a line. And then, you know, yay. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, to avoid all the crowds, um, I decided to take my son, who's about two and a half years old, uh, out on um, train rides. There's we we have the the famous Shinkansen going past uh, Mount Fuji. There, we also have all those people getting pushed under the subways during uh, traffic. You know, uh, peak uh, rush hour. The guys in the white gloves pushing those people, just cramming them into the the trains like um like some sort of fish, as if they were like a sardine in a can, to use a metaphor that no one has ever used before. But there's all these other trains, like uh, the uh, the the Tokyo Sakura line used to be called the Arakawa Toden, I think it's called, and it's a tram, and it, it's like 160 yen, like a buck and a half, and it runs 12 kilometers through the kind of back neighborhoods of of, of Tokyo here. It takes about an hour there, an hour back, and you bring some sandwiches and eat them in a park while you're there. Real cheap way to enjoy the uh, golden week there. And, um, you know, when you have like, I've, I've been on vacations when, with little kids present or even teenagers and they're impossible to deal with. Like, uh, imagine going into like a, a famous museum to look at Rembrandt and you've maybe studied some art history and it's been 15 years and you're like, I'd love to just go and refresh myself. But you have three kids and then the person next to you trying to look at the painting and be like, yes, that is quite a unique use of red. Uh, you know, they have three kids and they're just screaming the whole time. You can't really appreciate art history when, when your, 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 your progeny is, is tugging at your coat sleeves. Um, so we did that. 
So we took him on the the Romance car, which is the Odaku line, uh, private uh, railways there. And uh, it's really cheap. Like uh, you get uh, 10 bucks one way to one direction. Beautiful trains. Not so busy if you go at the right times. There's so many of them running. So we did that. A lot of trains. And um, towards the end, I was really grateful for the convenience stores on the train lines there because it's like, Five days of just ushering around kids, you know, one kid and a very pregnant wife. And I'm, you know, I'm not ushering per se, but it's just like, oh, it's 3 p.m. and people are a little sleepy and we're on the train and we have 25 minutes to wait for that train to come. You better believe it. I'm getting a beer from that convenience store. You better believe it. A lot of people will get like a Coke or a green tea and I just feel like cracking that beer, waiting for the train. Everyone's a little tired. It's that window of opportunity. Without those moments, life would be a lot worse, let me tell you, a lot worse indeed. Just crack that beer and relax because you know that the next five hours are going to be cleaning, running around, doing all that stuff. Welcome to the Japan What Podcast. <laughs> Let's begin with the new product. I feel like re-recording that, but I'm not going to. Um we're going to do the uh, Sora News 24, the hate read of the week. Learn the anatomy of a ramen bowl with 25-piece 3D shoyu ramen puzzle. Of course, Sora News is a, is a site that um, nobody likes, and we hate read it here every week, and uh, that's, how I, that's how I like to begin my Mondays with hate reading. I'm sure you do too. One way or another, you're probably reading a comment or a tweet going, who the hell is this person? All right. How do you put a ramen bowl together? This puzzle will teach you. If you're a fan of puzzles, especially three-dimensional puzzles, you'll want to keep your eye on Japanese toy company Mega House, part of the Bandai Namco group, which often makes fun and educational 3D puzzles, like Kimo Kawaii Sanriro Skeleton Puzzles. For one example, their latest release is the Order Up Shoyu Ramen Disassembly Puzzle, which has 25 parts that teach you about what goes into a bowl of ramen with a soy-based sauce. Hmm, I don't hate this read. I'll be posting pictures of this up to MatthewPMBigelow.com if you're interested. It's pretty funky. The, that's MatthewPMBigelow.com. The parts of the puzzle make up the sauce, noodles, and toppings. And like many 3D puzzles, they aren't your average pieces. They come in different shapes and sizes to make the puzzle more challenging to put it together. There are eight pieces for the noodles, 13 for the soup, three for the toppings, and then, of course, the bowl. Smoke a bowl. When property, but properly dissembled, the parts, in the order, the parts go in the order of putting together a real bowl of ramen. We know. The broth pieces are also transparent, so you can see the noodles underneath them when the puzzle is complete. Oh yeah, the Japanese don't screw around when it comes to this stuff. It also comes with two bonus pieces, a pair of bamboo chopsticks and a paper sleeve and a sheet tray. So you can even display your finished puzzle like a bowl of ramen served at a restaurant. The cost of the order up show you disassembly puzzle is, well, how much do you think it is, Mr. or Ms. Listener? Well, it's U.S. dollars fourteen forty, about two thousand yen, and you can find it at department stores, hobby shops, or wherever uh, puzzles are sold. While you're there, you can also pick up Mega House's other three D educational models, like their King Salmon version, which teaches you about sushi cuts and the anatomy of the salmon. Not bad. Well, that's from the PR Times via Entabe. 
So that's why I didn't read. Like usually when they're uh, written by the staff writers at <laughs> Sora News, they're like, they introduced a whole bunch of useless stuff that nobody needs to know. So we didn't need to hate read that. I would buy that. My uh, my child loves puzzles. Um, uh, recently, he's been able to memorize them uh, face down because there's the numbers on the back. Like a 48-piece puzzle will have numbers 1 through 48. And he'll be looking at like a picture of um, uh, like a headlight of a Shinkansen. And he'll be like, ah, piece number 23. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? So he gets bored and throws all the pieces on the floor all the time. Kind of stupid. It's like, hey, that's really smart. And then the kid will just take all the pieces and mix them together and throw them on the floor and run away. Like, okay, that's not smart. My child is a genius. He remembers this number. Oh, no, he's just an idiot like all the other children out there. (laughs) How fast. How fast parents go between these things. We have a lot to do today uh, for this show. Speaking of kids, we're going to do Japan in Japan. Um, Now... When I was uh, taking the kid out for the um, the what have you, the Golden Week for nagging, we went to um, Machida. I just remember being in Machida a long time ago. It's like a suburb in Kanagawa Prefecture. And it's just one of those places that's like a large station with some department stores in it. And it was a rainy day and I didn't feel like walking around outside a lot. So I was like, okay, just take the romance car down to Machida, putter around the um, department stores and then go back home. And they had like a one floor in one of the department stores would be of no surprise is a kid's kids floor. I was thinking, you know, I remember going to these kids floors in department stores when I was a kid in Canada and in Edmonton, near Edmonton. We go into Edmonton and it would be like a kid's land paradise. It would be like the, the pedophile van to an extreme with like, you know, everything is there except the pizza gate. Um, so you'd go up there, it'd be Lego, there'd be toys, there'd just be lots of things to do. And it would, it would just, it would enamor me for hours and I would, I would almost refuse to leave. But recently I've noticed like um, the past eight, nine years, I guess everybody's buying online. I go into these uh, department stores and 10, 12 years ago, if I had a friend or a a family member with a kid, I'd go in and there'd be fun stuff for kids now. But I go in now and I'm like, well, let's, let's see what the fun stuff is. And I'm greeted by like brand name Louis Vuitton bags for kids. And I'm like, what? That's not fun. (laughs) You're walking around and everything is just like um, $200 brand name stuff for toddlers. And I'm kind of going, what the hell is going on here? Uh, and so one of the days for the Golden Week, it's a series of national public holidays, is Kids Day. Um, and of course, we haven't been too nice to the kids recently. And uh, this is um, an editorial from the Mainichi. And it kind of, when I was thinking like, this isn't fun. I went into a kid's floor and it was it was just brand name clothing. Like that's obviously, I don't know who that's for. I guess rich people who want to buy gifts for their friends and show off their money or they're just really nice people that want to buy expensive gifts for other people because you know if you if you have a little toddler the last thing you want to do is put like a $200 jacket on them and then sit down with a bowl of miso soup and say have at her son try not to get destroy that thing in the next two minutes you're like I want I want five dollars for a shirt is pushing it okay because they're going to grow out of it and they're going to ruin it. And you know that. So anyways, this comes to us from the Mainichi. And uh, it kind of, 
dovetails into what I'm talking about here culturally and is from a wider perspective as well about how we're not really, we're trying with the kids. You know, we make them, make them have fun, but society wide in Japan and a lot of advanced countries, we're kind of screwing around with the kids a little bit weirdly. Editorial from the Mainichi. Remembering the importance of children's voices in line with new Japan law. Yes, so nothing like the importance of children's voices with a new law. May 5th is Children's Day in Japan. It is a day when we wish for all children to be happy in their own way. Aww. To realize this wish, the basic act on the child came into effect last month. Now, the basic act on the child is the name of the law. Nothing says happiness like basic act on the child from the bureaucracy. The law calls for the creation of child-oriented policies. Ooh, so we're going to solve the problems with policies. It's been 25 years of population plummeting, and the government's always trying to get new policies in for new kids to come around, but they never do. Hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why. The law is based on the United Nations Conventions and the Rights of the Child. Japan accepted the convention nearly 30 years ago, but didn't have a law in place to collectively reflect its content. Okay. The first item set forth in the basic law as a concept to cherish is to value children and protect their rights. The law calls for opportunities for children to state their opinions. Yes, because nothing says really fun stuff to kids like saying, Hey, a little child there, what are your thoughts on global warming and the LGBTQ movement? And let's have fun now. Go! Uh, sure. The, <laughs> the first topic here in this article is... School rules made by students. Yes, because if only, uh, if only kids were allowed to make their own rules, they'd be happy. We recall the efforts of students at Kamikawa Junior High School in the Saitama Prefecture town of Kamikawa, northwest of Tokyo. The year before last, the student council at the school conducted a questionnaire targeting all students and learned that many students were unhappy with the strict rules on hairstyles and the color of clothing. Now, in Japan, it is a bit strict, where if you have brown hair, some schools will make you dye it black. There's, there's these weird schools I've never seen or been around them where it's like the, everyone has to wear the same color underwear, even. Like, it's this weird, this weird almost North Korean-style um, strain of authoritarianism that runs through Japan uh, and a lot of Asian countries. Like, even in Japan, they're like, oh, I don't want people to, to notice me when I'm out and about. That's where I wear a mask. It's like... You're a, a, a 35-year-old male who's 160 centimeters tall wearing a black shirt and, 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 and blue jeans with glasses and, and, and short hair. It's like you look like everyone. No one's going to notice you. But anyways, in discussion with the teachers, the student council took the lead in proposing revisions. The changes allowed so-called two-block under hair, uh, undercut haircuts. Now, I did a rewrite for this once with a newspaper I used to work at. The two-block is um, kind of high on top and pretty short on the sides. I don't know why it's called two-block. It's just what they, the kids like to say. 14-year-old Kokonai Iijima, the head of the student council, commented, the students talked to each other and were able to spread and were able to spread understanding regarding the new school rules. A lot of these um, kids, too, they grew up in these very strict schools. I'm kind of hypocriting myself right now, but they just kind of go, I'm going to get out of this town as quickly as possible and just go to Tokyo and, and wander around the streets of Shibuya for five years and do whatever I want. Uh, so 
the amount of rewards for staying in the, a lot of these towns uh, outweigh uh, or strip away the amount of like the lack of freedom. So you're just told to be like this super strict automaton and maybe you'll get a job repairing a tractor or something in Saitama. So it's like, okay, I have to be this ultra conformist uh, engineer to work on a tractor in the middle of a rice field. Or I can go to Shibuya and uh, just have fun. And what do you think? It's like Amish people in a way. Maybe, maybe it'll swing back. The teachers warmly watched over the students, ugh, only, pro, uh, only providing them with advice. Anyways, it kind of goes on. Amid the such circumstances, child advocacy efforts where people speak out in the best interests of children has been gaining recognition. These activities developed in Britain and Canada, but in recent years, civ- citizens groups have also been set up across Japan. So that's one idea, um, is to allow students to make their own rules, give them a bit of freedom. Uh, hopefully it's not too much freedom because, you know, otherwise it goes way off the rails like it is in, in North America right now where nobody wants anything to do with it. Um, but uh, thinking about how happy we are going to let children be, you know, letting them wear a haircut and, and providing them with no opportunities is a very Band-Aid-oriented solution. And it goes on um, with another article that I have here. Just to celebrate celebrate Kids Day, everybody. Let's celebrate Kids Day with this one from, the, from japantoday.com via Kyoto News. Um, all of this stuff, almost every mainstream news article is written by somebody else at some other paper that's sourcing somebody else. Like it's not very hard to find just like, hey, I work at this newspaper and I wrote this. Uh, some newspapers do it, but it's very, very rare. It gets disseminated like Kyoto goes to Japan today and then it also gets picked up by Japan Times and then Epoch Times might use some Reuters in some of their analysis. And yeah, it just it's it, it permeates throughout the entire news infrastructure world where you have this banner of independence bringing you the real truth. But then it's just the same news as everywhere else with a different headline. 45% of young people in Japan have suicidal thoughts survey. Almost one in two young people in Japan have had suicidal thoughts, a Tokyo-based non-governmental organization said in a survey calling for greater public awareness to prevent suicide. Of 14,555 people aged 18 to 29 surveyed by the Nippon Foundation, 44.8% had experienced suicidal ideation in the face of troubles such as difficult relationships with people close to them, bullying, and worry about future education or career paths. I also think locking them down for three years and making them do Zoom education in a room all alone, telling them if they step outside, they're going to catch coronavirus asymptomatically and come home and kill their grandma so they better get vaccinated or else they're just going to be responsible for everything. It's like, it's like that's so unbelievably diabolical. It's, it's Joker-level Batman stuff <laughs> to put on a society like that. It's like saying your mother and I are getting divorced and it's your fault. <laughs> It's your fault. Yeah, so we're going to, um, yeah, we're getting divorced because of you, son. Yeah, that's, but we love you. We love you a lot. We have these great plans for your future. We're going to make policies, okay? And they're not going to work, but you're going to be great, and it's your fault that we're getting divorced. Of the 44.8%, 40% said they had attempted suicide or taken some steps towards preparing to kill themselves. Trauma, such as from sexual abuse and bullying, which also sky- sexual abuse really skyrocketed during the pandemic. Uh, people losing their jobs, getting too drunk, and then just setting upon kids. It's disgusting. I want to kill them all. 
Um, the foundation released the results in April after compiling data from an online survey it conducted from November 10th to 18th. In Japan, suicide is the leading was the leading cause of death among young people for both sexes in 2019, 2020, and 2021. In those years, um, 2000, over 2,117, 2,521, and 2,611 in the age bracket of 20 to 29 years killed themselves, according to police. So it went much worse than the coronavirus, actually. In 2022, 2,483 people in that age group committed suicide, according to the agency. So it goes from 2019 um, to from 2,117 people killing themselves to 2,483 people killing themselves in 2022. Quite an increase in percentage, isn't it? I wonder what happened. Um, all right, so there we go. If, if Not good. <laughs> not good at all. Additionally, when I was working in a corporate, um, a, lot of, um, a lot of businesses like main massive businesses in Japan. It might be swinging in the other direction with some companies like Eon or Mitsui. Um, I'm not saying they're all like this, but a lot of companies in Japan are saying like, oh, there's not enough young people in Japan, so we need to, we can't target the youth with the most profit-making product endeavors. So they recruit young people in Japan because they need them. Um, they have the skills and yada yada the training and yada yada. Then they tell them there's not enough of you, so you have to make products for other people in Asia. So the it compounds itself. So yeah, we have these great ideas for you here. We're going to make you happy by recruiting you, telling you there's not enough of you, and then using your expertise to funnel it into other countries across Asia so that our company can make more money from that. And then you're your next generation of people gets less return on that investment. Okay, let's go. Let's innovation now. Let's continue the spiral of destruction. Um, I think that's why a lot of uh, people are living a lot more simply these days too. Uh, they just, they get, they see all this stuff and they go, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to kill myself. Screw you. But a lot of them don't. A lot of them do kill themselves. Uh, so that is the um, Kids Day in Japan. What should I do for that? Uh, should we call that this one? I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home. I uh, sampled that from an NHK article uh, and that was originally like a, a high school girl. I, I, I changed the voice, big surprise, uh, because they were also just so scared of the coronavirus Oh, uh, that, uh, that's the way they view the world now. <laughs> wow, isn't that nuts? Isn't that nuts? All right, moving on to the next topic. Let's focus on the economy. Here we go. First, what I'm going to do is uh, the exercise that I've been doing recently where I go to the Nikkei English website and I read the headlines from the Japanese tab and I read the headlines from the Chinese tab. Now, the Nikkei literally means in kanji, Japanese economy, um, Nihon, Ni, and Keizai, Kei, Nikkei, Shimbun. Um, and it's supposed to be where you can go and understand all these things about Japan, but... 
uh, after following uh, some of these editors at the Nikkei Shimbam on Twitter, I realized that they're really into the World Economic Forum because <laughs> they retweet them a lot. They're really into um, uh, all of those things. The Klaus Schwab, the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, we're going to get into that. We'll lead into that in a bit. Um, and so it becomes more of like a, a talking point for not really Japan's economy, but for stakeholder capitalism in the World Economic Forum. And I think it might illustrate that from today. Um, let's take a look at the Nikkei Asia uh, Japan tab here. And it says, Metaverse education blossoms in South Korea, Japan, Taiwan. Teaching taps VR, even as emerging tech's mass adoption remains in doubt. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, I looked, I've studied the hell out of um, VR uh, goggles. I thought they were going to take off like crazy. They didn't. Not really good. A lot of people get sick. They're good for um, industrial training. You can, or, or uh, medical training, just as a, a way to really quicken the initial phase of learning. There's that, you just don't open books and look at graphs. The graphs are in front of you in real time and the like the machinery that you're looking at is the actual machinery that you're going to be working on um, instead of like graphs from books and stuff like that. It's really fascinating, actually. Um, they can take all of the diagrams from like a, a hydroelectric processing something at a dam, like something like a turbine or something like that. And you need to be repairing these turbines, but they're really big and they're not easy to repair. And just opening up a book and looking at all the charts and stuff like that isn't the best route for everybody. So what they do is they take these goggles, they put them on, and then they can see in um, uh, mixed reality um, a hologram of the turbine in front of them, and it's the actual size that they're going to be working on. And because the turbines in some of these um, dams are loaded with sensors anyways and being uploaded to a computer, the computer can download that sensor activity from the real turbine in the real world into the um, hologram turbine in front of them. It's kind of a digital twin application. So the person who's going to be training to work on the turbines are uh, getting the data that they're going to be um, dealing with when they go out to work on the turbines because that data from the turbine is coming in from that turbine. When you're dealing with education and educational processes, sometimes when people make um, materials for people, the data is kind of in the right area, but it might not be. It might be old. It might be a different company or something like that. But if you're working with company ABC and that ABC company is training you to work on their turbines and the training process includes the real-time data with a hologram of that turbine in front of you, you're going to, it's just, it's like a aha moment where you go, oh, now to hold on, I understand what I'm looking at and I understand how this turbine works and operates in the real world. Um, so, in, you know, a 20 or 30 minute session is really good for that. It's also good for um, medical training to, to, to have a hologram of a body in front of you instead of a cadaver all the time. Just ha You're going to have to work on the cadavers eventually, but if you're with a... Um, uh, a cadaver specialist, you know, somebody who just takes cadavers and, you know, really knows how to work with them, really knows how to open up that cadaver and, you know, uh, get in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, but in a hologram form, they can take a whole bunch of students with the hologram goggles in front of them and, and give them tips and points based on hologram data that's three-dimensional in nature and has the data around the 
cadaver, the hologram of a cadaver in real time. So it's again, it's 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 very fascinating applications. But for school children, like learning math and stuff like that, or hey, you don't need to go to school anymore because you have Zoom on a on a phone in front of your face instead of a screen in front of your face, it's ridiculous. This is um this is Klaus Schwabian training right here. Next one, Japan lowers COVID threat to flu level in major policy shift. Yes, yesterday, COVID was like a total killer, but today, because the government said so, it's fine. Coronavirus, the Wuhan flu doesn't kill you, but media panic will. Now do whatever the government tells you to do. No more quarantining for those testing positive vaccine shots still free. Yeah, it's free, paid for the taxpayer. How else did Pfizer and Moderna make all that money? Japanese companies embrace shareholder activism as never before. Shareholder activism is direct world economic Klaus Schwab speak. He has books about it, chapters about it. You can read uh, books by Klaus Schwab about it. You can Google him and look at interviews on YouTube with him. So... um, this is like a way of just mucking up the Japanese economy. Uh, I, I personally think it's a form of sabotage, uh, cult-level sabotage. All of these cults from the 60s are being kicked out of Japanese polite society, like Unification Church or the Moonies, as they're disparagingly called. And they're being replaced with some sustainable development goals, World Economic Forum uh, trends, and uh, all of that. They, they're all, it's just like out with the old and in with the new. The king is dead. Long live the king is one of those things. We don't need this cult anymore. What we need is more stakeholder activism. <laughs> okay, sure. Japan plans expansion of um, homegrown GPS network to 11 satellites. Increase from four means Tokyo won't need to depend on U.S. system. That's good if they can actually get the satellites up in the air. Uh, I saw this chart the other day of um, uh, launches recently in like uh, Starlink with the United States is really like boom, uh, number one at the top. Next one is like China. And after that, it's India. China has a very advanced space program. It's almost like how weird, how, how boomer how boomer it is for like the space industry to be such like a nationalistic pride thing. Like, Hey, we put our rocket into space. It comes from like a Yuri, uh, Graganov. I can't remember his name right now. The first man to circle the moon, the circle, the earth, uh, after the dog with the space thing. And then it's like, we, those Russians can't do it. Our country's going to do it. There's still this hangover thing where we can't let, we can't know the proliferation of, Um, data of what other countries are doing in space cannot proliferate within other countries' borders because that's like a nationalistic threat. Like, hey, they're taking over space before us. Our people cannot know about this. They only know about our righteous space exploration because we have giant boomer dicks that still need to be pumped up full of dreams about space. What a bunch of ridiculous garbage. Tokyo, Nintendo, and Daikin lead expected Japan earnings beaters. Uh, very good. Uh, Kishida and Yoon tout new departure for South Korea-Japan ties. You could say like, hey, this is good on the part of Kishida, the Japan prime minister, to increase relationships with uh, South Korea. But this is largely coming from the South Korean side where the South Koreans elected a new conservative government. They don't seem like total Looney Tune conservatives. I kind of like the idea of just like... Um, fiscally responsible conservatives that don't care what you do with your life. I think that was, that's where I'm at right now in my 40s. 
Um, new $1.4 million completed in Nahas Shuri Castle area. That's not really that big. And the last one we will do is um, Japan insurers bet big on countries, $745 million pet policy market. Again, that's not really that much money. And as we can see from these uh, lists here, it's kind of, it's like we plan to do something with space. We're doing the shareholder activism, uh, meta education. It doesn't really feel like the Japanese economy. It more It feels more like what, what, the Japanese economy wants to tell you that they're doing in regards to SDGs and WEF initiatives. Now let's move over to the China tab. Remember, this is from a Japanese website translated into English. So the it's not like I'm looking at the China Daily versus the Nikkei. This is, this is from Japan, and this is what they're telling us about the economies of the world. Let's look at the Chinese one. Chinese students in U.S. wary of going home under new spy law. Okay, sure. Uh, overseas Hong Kongers kind of feel the same thing. Um, China's a, China's whole zone to produce EVs in Thailand for Southeast Asian market. Hmm, that's pretty big. Export orders down at first full post-pandemic Canton Fair in China. Offline deals signed still nearly one-third lower than spring session for 2019. Okay, well, that's pretty big too. Not a big recovery in the trade there for export orders. Um, Marriott, China domestic travel rebound fuels earnings at Marriott and Hyatt. Those are major, uh, major uh, hotel chains. China's Belt and Road pivots from coal plants to data centers. Okay, very uh, big news. HSBC wins shareholder battle to foil spinoff of Asia business. Big, that's big news, actually. Um, Trying to divvy up the bank there. I think China is trying to take it over in a way. Asia Pacific bright spot for Apple as overall vet revenue drops. Uh, double digit growth in India. So that's not really China. China. Oh wait, it is because where are the iPhones made? China's EV industry braces for a shakeout as prices plunge. That's actually probably pretty good. What's this? India Indonesia CEOs woo global investors as China plus one options. Emerging Asia's other big economies vie for attention at the Milken Conference. Um, that's the 2023 Global Conference, advancing a thriving world. Bunch of we'll do one more. Uh, China's cities begin to pay public employees in digital yuan. Move in Shangshu marks next phase to encourage e-currencies adoption. That's pretty big, getting your uh, your CBDC uh, straight to your phone wallet from the government for working there. That is one real step. So it's like saying, hey, hey, Chinese revolutionaries, just give me my, my uh, fund there. What's it called? My That free money that you get from the government for being communist and just leave me alone. No, they're going to track everything you do with that money. They're going to limit it. You don't know where you'll be able to spend it. You will know where you able will be able to spend it because it will just say you can't spend your money here. Uh, a transaction declined, and then the business owner will will make you leave the store as quickly as possible before your presence there uh, detracts from their social credit score. That's happening, and that's going on right now. So as we can see, again, uh, mostly this exercise proves that the Nikkei Asia uh, website is. 
for Japan, largely push, pushing the SDG uh, Klaus Schwabian World Economic Forum ideologies into the Japanese public, trying to get them to adopt all these measures. And it really is just an exercise in making everybody um, become like a middle manager, pushing for self-development goals that never get realized, but you're in these constant meetings, sucking up all the resources so that you can never really be developed. Then you turn around to your children and you say, good luck with the future, kids. We just built a, a massive uh, middle class uh, manager style uh, economy where you, you go to meetings, but things don't get done. Dream big, my boy. Dream big. All right. Here we go. Now I get tired of being called a conspiracy theorist just because I don't go along with everything that the government tells me. Even a lot of that Klaus Schwab stuff that I talk about, people get kind of sick and tired of it. To be honest, I'm sick and tired of it too, but it's that's where it is and that's what's happening and that's what I'd just like to say about it. Um, but let's take a look at Japan Society 5.0. And again, this is made by the government, for the government, for us. And I've been in, you know, in... in in rooms in corporate offices with people working in uh, we, for this advancement of Japan Society 5.0. So when people tell me it's a conspiracy theory, I'm like, Klaus Schwab has this book. It's called COVID-19, The Great Reset. And they're working with Japan Society 5.0 to, to do something with AI for everybody. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. All right, so this comes to us from Kyoto News, the actual Kyoto News website, not, not filtered through a bunch of other websites coming up. Uh, it's supposed to be something else besides Kyoto News, but is in fact Kyoto News. This is, in fact, Kyoto News. Feature. Kyoto News is one of the biggest news organizations in Japan. They have a major office tower in the Shiodome or the Shiodome area of Tokyo. Feature. Japan firms creating cutting-edge tech to make... Society 5.0 reality. Finally, it's in the news. I've only been talking about it for four years. That's what happens, though. You're a conspiracy theorist. That doesn't happen. I'm like, okay, I'm not saying I'm not saying they want to make Society 5.0 to turn the moon into cheese, okay? And I'm not saying that we're, we're going to be ushered into some um, FEMA slave camp. We might be. I don't. Kind of hard to do that, but might be. But I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. All I'm saying is, is this plan called Society 5.0. It's coming down from the top, and they want to make it a reality, and they're putting a lot of money into it. Maybe we should just understand a little bit about what that means. No, you are a conspiracy. Okay, sure. Bite me, blow me. Um, this comes to us from Kyoto News from May 6th, Tokyo. Now, again, I keep saying that I, I look at these uh, China developments. They have automated ports in China using 5G networks where the 
ships go up to the port, big ships, big port, and robots pull the containers off of the ship. The robots put the containers onto self-driving vehicles that are robots, and then the self-driving vehicles drive the containers to self-driving trucks, and it's they have people in the office using the 5G network to monitor and make sure everything is going swimmingly well in the fully automated port. So there's these fully automated ports, and you don't have to have the the robots moving at 150 miles an hour. They just need to be moving efficiently, and then the work gets done pretty efficiently on that type of scale. I've worked in shipping and receiving in a warehouse and the people that I worked with were really good people, but they didn't want to be there. And they found every excuse to go to the uh, dump room and take a big dump, or they found excuses to go smoke weed. And when I was younger, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but if you're running a company, you don't think that's cool. Uh, but again, you need the people there to do the job. So you take what you can get. Now, if you could automate that process and then as a manager, free up more of your time to focus on the other aspects of your company that need to be managed, you're probably going to do that. So looking at the, the, the threat to workers, I understand that. But then at the same time, I also was one of those workers and they don't get treated well and they don't like their jobs anyways 95% of the time. So that's what's going on in China. And then this I'm using this as an example to to reinforce the idea that all of these people in Japan and doing with the World Economic Forum, they're just creating this burgeoning, um, useless middle classism where people go to meetings and, and try to push out this technology that seems amazing but is actually years behind and nobody needs at all. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna illustrate that with this article here, five um, G five society five reality. And I hate the people who write about this and the people who push this stuff because it's just, it's always the same garbage. From the delicate sway of her hair to her subtle blinking eyes, the 17-year-old girl on screen is so remarkably lifelike, it's hard to believe she is not real. Actually, you spend five seconds looking at her and you go, oh, that's just uh, an AI representative of a human. But as artificial intelligence continues to push boundaries, that fact may not matter. <gasps> oh, I mean, we can have an automated port or you can have a girl on a screen that looks like a girl on a screen. That's going to revolutionize the world, you see, because now we have people who need to make that screen on a screen, do things on the screen for people who are going to look at that screen on a screen and say, wow, that's a screen on a screen. And that's the AI revolution you see in Japan. Known as a multimodal agent, Saya is able to understand people's intentions and respond accordingly through cutting-edge sensors and AI that can analyze multiple forms of input data, such as images, voice, and movement, in an integrated manner. I'm going to explain this because I spent five seconds looking at the YouTube video and I was like, oh, I know what's going on. Such intelligent systems represent the so-called Society 5.0 envisioned by the Japanese government where the frontier between cyberspace and physical space is completely blurred and everything that can run itself does. Proposed by Japan through the WEF, the concept extends the Fourth Industrial Revolution Initiative coined by Germany, Klaus Schwab, incorporating its innovations including AI, the Internet of Things, big data, and robots into every aspect of society. 
Developers involved in the Saya project, which was showcased in the Guma Digital Land Exhibition in March ahead of the G7 Digital and Tech Ministers meeting in Takasaki on April 29th and 30th, envision emotive AI systems will be used in autonomous transport, elderly care, and other scenarios that would benefit from human touch. Because nothing says human touch like removing the human touch. This was tried in China where uh, elderly people would be given a screen with an AI interaction thing. And they would interact with it for five minutes. And then they would find a button that said, like, call a person. And they would just call a person and say, yeah, I just want to talk to a real person. <laughs> so they realized that while you can have, like, automated delivery robots bringing medical supplies to rooms, the, the infirmed don't care about if that's a person or not. But when they want to just sit down, they don't want to sit down and relax at a screen and talk to somebody that's really limited with their range of emotions. They'd rather even be annoying to somebody to get a real reaction from them. Quote, one of our goals as an automotive parts manufacturer um, is to develop self-driving buses and automated valet parking systems. Okay. AI will play the role of watching over and easing the loneliness of people as such vehicles become unmanned, said Shin Osuga, senior expert engineer at Aishin Corp's Advanced, De Advanced Development Pro Department. Um, fair enough. I don't know what that has to do with Saya. The auto parts manufacturer that is part of the Toyota Motor Corp group is leading the consortium of Japanese universities and firms developing Saya, whose design, based on a character by CG artist duo Teluka, is said to surpass the uncanny valley. That's when you think, oh, I'm looking at a real person and it's not a computer. Oh, it's a computer, but still it's good enough for me. Mm, this, this person, this is not, this does not surpass that valley and never will. As the elderly population increases, it will not be feasible to have them operate systems with smartphones. It will be a natural evolution to have a human interface like this that allows intuitive interactions from young to old, said Koichi Nakamura, founder and CEO of Idein Inc. The Tokyo-based startup, which developed the AI camera for Saya, is also pioneering Edge AI with its flagship product, Artcast, an IoT platform service designed to process data locally on the device itself, removing the need for external servers or cloud computing resources. This is very true, especially in hospitals. If the bed is laden with sensors um, and video analytics are used in the, in the room, if you have a computer vision attached to that camera, it can take incidents that occur, like somebody's in distress, and it will register that distress as a code, like X43210, and then it sends that code through the network back to a computer, um, and then somebody at that computer gets a notification, then they turn on the camera remotely and see if that person in the in the bed is is in trouble and how much, and should they go out and send them. It's almost like... When you're in a department store and somebody calls the phone and we're looking for Mr. Terayuki Higuchi, please come to exit 4B. Your wife is waiting for you. One of those things. Um, and that makes sense. That makes sense. Finally, but I don't know what that has to do with Saya. We are now finally entering a phase in which the world is beginning to understand how AI can be used in concrete and useful ways. When implementation rapidly proceeds, it will be difficult for many businesses to scale up due to issues such as cost and privacy if the AI is cloud-based, Nakamura said. True. Um, so it goes on. So it uses cameras and uh, we, we can kind of see that um, the idea of 
automated systems in hotels and uh, hospitals and even stadiums might be fine for most people because you know you're going into a place and then leaving a place that has them. It's not ubiquitous. It's not following you around the city. It used to be schizophrenic if you said, I think the sun is following me, man. I think the sun is following me, and I think uh, my dog is actually George W. Bush. You'd be like, you're crazy. But in China, if you're like, I think the government is following me. <laughs> you're like, yeah, it is. It's, it knows what you're doing all the time. It knows what you're doing. I think that lamppost over there is looking at me and it understands what my face is. And it's, it is correlating my face to a possible criminal history I have. Yes, yes, it is. You're not crazy for saying that in China. So it's nice to have these systems embedded into facilities that have clear beginnings and endings to them, like stadiums, hospitals, um, concerts even. You could you could push it there. Um, so what I want to do, so this firm is obviously using this girl on a screen to make everybody kind of like go, oh, AI is friendly and we can use it because there's a 17-year-old girl and she's cute and we can talk to her. Therefore, we can now have all of the rest of the AI poured upon us wherever we go. But if you look at and understand what this AI girl is saying and how it's being interacted with, it ain't good. It ain't good at all. In fact, I think if you spent 10 minutes with this, you would kind of begin to doubt all of the other applications that the AI and IoT and edge computing could be used for. So this like doorway that they're kind of introducing this for the regular population to accept can be quickly rejected by our natural sense of dealing with something fake, um, which is much more powerful than any computer and any kind of group of middle managers pushing a 17-year-old cute girl upon us can do. I mean, we're like, we'll go, oh, wow, she's cute. Oh, she's not real. Oh, she can talk to me. But then five minutes later, you're like, eh, eh I don't really need that. Like a comedian. Oh, look, that comedian is kind of, oh, they, they mentioned my town. <laughs> I'm from that town. Yeah, that story is pretty funny. But then after five minutes, you're like, hey, get the fuck off the stage, you loser. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what this is. So I'm going to ready up this video here and play it off of their YouTube channel. And I'll explain to you the shenanigans behind this Saya chick. All right, I got it set up. So here we go says, meet Saya, a virtual human who looks like a 17-year-old Japanese girl. And it's like a, a girl on a flat screen TV. And you're looking from it from 20 feet away, 5 meters away, and it's convincing. You'd be convinced. And she kind of coyly ducks her head. Known as a multimodal agent, Saya uses cutting-edge AI to act interact with people. Now, this is the cutting-edge AI. It says in Japanese, the English translation is she, so she obviously, you can use these sensors to say, are, are you talking to a man, a woman, likely age group, and then spew out some very basic questions. Do you have something you are working hard on at the moment? Uh, that's what she says. And in Japan, the answer is yes, everybody is all the time. And he says, oh, I'm running my company. And it says she can read people's expressions and process dialogue. And then respond accordingly. So it's like, I'm running my company. And she looks around and waits for five seconds. And the video edits. And then she says, Sasaga desu. Meaning, oh yeah, of course. 
それは素晴らしいですね。That's amazing. You could say that that could be your answer to anything. Are you working hard on anything at the moment?、Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about、um, buying a new jacket. Wow, of course. That's amazing. And if you're, if you're an old man and a 17 year old girl, cute girl says, Wow, that's amazing. You're going to be like,、mm, I'm going to stick around for this, I think. But if it was like some old drunk dude who's like, Yeah, you know, I'm not sure what I'm dealing with here. So the fact that it's a 17 year old girl is kind of deceptive in the first place. And then this is her answer that's supposed to be like, Oh, wow. She's really talking to me as if she knows what I'm talking about. And then this is an AI program. I can't believe it. She says, Were you able to run your company even with the coronavirus around? Now, this, is, this looks like, wow, this person's up to date. They know everything. But everybody was, was, was traumatized by the coronavirus one way or another. We were all raped by this thing, by the government response, the shots, the actual virus itself. So, You could say to yourself, Are you working hard on anything at the moment? And then the answer is something. And then she says, That's amazing. All you need to do is remember what that something was. It's going to be a very limited answer. You know, yeah, I'm thinking about this. And then she remembers what this is, or the program remembers what this is running my company. Were you able to, da, 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 even in the coronavirus? So, anybody's going to have a,、uh, a sense of reaction to this statement, but it could be anything. Doesn't matter what the person was doing. If you say, Were you able to X, Y, and Z during the coronavirus pandemic? You could say that to anybody, and everybody's going to have a reaction. Nobody's going to be like, Sorry, the what? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, your AI program. But the trauma that exists inside of us from the coronavirus pandemic. Is going to elicit a response no matter how much you were for all of it or against all of it. It's like, were you able to run your company during the pandemic? Are you kidding me? This wasn't crazy. This was, or were you able to run your company during the pandemic? Actually, yeah, we found ourselves in a great spot. We, were, we, we had this supply chain backup plan and it just worked perfectly. And did, you know, it could be anything. So it's like, wow, this AI program is so smart. This 17 year old AI girl just knows exactly what I'm talking about all the time. No, it's manipulation through and through. So they're also working on a smartphone version of Saya where she's wearing a schoolgirl uniform. For some reason, with this AI 17 year old Japanese、uh, girl on my screen that's talking to me, I find it so easy to interact with her. So, um,. I think you got to get rid of this garbage, people. No one, no one is interested. It takes up way too much resources. Nobody actually likes it. It's, it, it's, it's like a Walmart greeter in a way. You go into Walmart, they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, oh, pretty good. How are you? They're like, hey, how's it going?、Like, oh, it's not really an interaction I'm dealing with here. It's just like a program that Walmart's developed from when I come into the door. Or the same thing with those、um, really hot dudes that stand outside of Abercrombie and Fitch stores. I don't know if they still do. I went past them once and, like, this guy, like, ripped dude, Asian dude, six pack, fashion, like, his hair is amazing. He's like, How's it going, man? I'm like, Well, you know, I'm just going to. And he just turns to the next person and goes, How's it going, man? I'm like, Oh, he acknowledged me, but I also feel dejected. Maybe I should check out this shop and see what's inside. <laughs> It's just a manipulation technique. 
That's all it is. It's not AI. It's just a bunch of people going, how can we use a 17-year-old Japanese schoolgirl to manipulate people into believing into our AI bullshit? Where the AI is actually not bullshit because they're using edge computing and computer vision cameras to try and monitor all of your health applications to ostensibly help you out in the hospital. But what happens when um, this uh, company is acquired by an insurance actuary and uses uh, that to jack up your prices while you need help the most, right? It's the double-edged sword where, oh, yeah, we can um, analyze that you're having problems in the hospital and get you medication and the care you need immediately through um, telecommunication networks where doctors will look at you and see your uh, data in real time and understand exactly what medications to give you. Or we could also sell that data and that program to the insurance actuaries and they say, okay, we're going to get you the help you need, but you're not covered under our insurance policy right now. Just sign your name here in the air with our digital panel screen and then we will get you the care you need, uh, but you might be indebted uh, for the next five generations of your of your genetics into us and we'll, we'll find a way to repackage that, but don't worry about that now. Uh, that's Society 5.0. Um, that's society 5.0. I hope it, the, the data restriction laws in Japan are actually very strict. I didn't understand the importance of it at the time when I was uh, working in the telecommunications industry, but, uh, I'm pretty sure that's a really good move on part of the Japanese government. Um, I, I hope that it doesn't just become some sell off of all of this data into insurance actuaries that end up abusing the shit out of all of us. Uh, but it could, it could very well go that way. And I think that's all I'm going to do for Society 5.0 today. I have other things that I want to talk about. Society 5.0, brought to you by 17-year-old stupid AI girls that make you want to believe the future is here when it's just some AI, some computer graphics on a screen. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve barriers. Just before I move on to war here, um, wanted to say that this whole idea of the World Economic Forum and Nikkei and the G7 and Japan, it is that deep. I didn't think it was going to be, but it is that deep. It's incredibly deep. Um, I got this from the METI Japan. METI is the Ministry of Education, Trade and Industry, Economy, Trade and Industry. I'm sorry. This is their tweet. G7 Public-Private DX Summit organized by the World Economic Forum as an official event for the G7 Digital and Tech Ministers meeting. METI Minister Nishimura spoke at a session on governance innovation, one of the agendas for the minister's meeting starting tomorrow. And it shows a whole bunch of big wigs um, sitting on a, on a stage in these chairs they do now in front of World Economic Forum symbols and G7 symbols, and they're giving their, their opinions about stuff. But this, this METI Japan tweet has like the hashtags G7DX written throughout the entire tweet which is nobody tweets like that anymore. This is like 2012 tweets, tweets from the year 2012, where it's you put it in a hashtag and hopefully it'll find a bunch of people. You're lucky if you get a few bots that even recognize a good hashtag these days, unless it's a trending topic. So they're obviously 
again, they're, they're, they're very clueless while at the same time very ambitious and very well-funded with these dream projects that just push more and more elusive garbage in all of our faces. Let's move on to war. I'll be posting pictures and videos to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Oh, before we move on to war, why don't you donate? Why not donate? Have you considered donating to the Japan Web Podcast? Of course you have. And now it's even easier than ever. We have PayPal. Uh, PayPal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. That's PayPal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. You can also donate Satoshis. What are those? Bitcoin micropayments through the Podcasting 2.0 network. What's that? Just go to podcasting2.0apps.com or enter 2.0 podcasting apps into a search engine and download one at your leisure. Um, uh, There's a podcast addict, there's a fountain, there's podverse, and these allow you to connect your Bitcoin wallet to podcasters and donate to them occasionally or however you want. I've been seeing some more um, sats come in anonymously these days and I appreciate the donations. It's not much, but it helps keep the lights on eventually, I hope. It's nice to have some sort of value coming in. Or you can as well go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, send us some traffic, check out the links and the pictures. Usually I'll put it in a hot chick in there as well. So if you want to see a photo of a hot chick related to the show somehow, go to MatthewPMBigelow.com for more. Thank you very much. Speaking of more, why don't we talk about war? Die for the war, everybody moves. Die for the good, for the good. Die for the war, die for the war. War. Oh, my God. This is a weird one. We're going to go a little bit long today. NATO. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking the, the Chinese side on here just to be, just to, just to avoid myself from going too much one way or the other because I'm not on China's side, but I understand their position on, on NATO opening up an office in Japan. Now, NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which was a military treaty um, designed to, you know, step up against the Soviets. And then the Soviet Union collapsed, but NATO still goes around and with the Russians and the Ukrainians at war now, NATO is somehow involved with that and Ukraine wants to come into NATO. Uh, But NATO has really done quite a number of uh, bombings and uh, bad things, in my opinion, in the past 20, 30 years. Libya comes to mind, especially um, bombing some of those uh, southern, eastern European countries. Who knows what what their names are anymore? You know, are they changed? Who cares? China urges high vigilance over NATO expansion in Asia. Yeah, like I really need to know where all the borders of Montenegro are. Come on, Montenegro. Cool name, but I mean, what are you doing besides stealing diamonds? Beijing. China said on Thursday high high vigilance was needed in the face of NATO's eastward expansion. Following a media report, the alliance is planning to set up an office in Japan to facilitate consultations with allies in the region. Now, I don't know why Japan is getting involved with NATO. Um, Germany doesn't have enough bullets to fight a day. The war in Ukraine has been going on for a year, but America has been financing most of it. A lot of 
NATO countries are in Europe, but they don't seem to be very good at doing anything that NATO should be doing. It seems to be like a bureaucratic leveraging system that uses taxpayer dollars to just go around threatening people. And then when they don't bow down, they just get the United States to fly over and bomb the shit out of everybody. That's kind of what NATO does, in my opinion. Not a fan, but it goes on. NATO is planning to open its first liaison office in Asia, in Japan, to facilitate talks with security partners such as South Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. With geopolitical challenges from China and Russia in mind, the Nikkei Asia reported on Wednesday, citing Japanese and NATO officials. Mao Ning, spokesperson for the Chinese Foreign Ministry, said Asia was a, quote, promising land for cooperation and development and should not be a battle arena for geopolitics, end quote. NATO's continual eastward expansion in the Asia-Pacific, interference in regional affairs, attempts to destroy regional peace and stability and push for block confrontation calls for high calls and push for block confrontation calls for high vigilance from countries in the region, Mao told a regular press conference. The Nikkei Asia said the proposed office was due to open in Tokyo next year. Asked about the Nikkei Asia report, NATO spokesperson Oana Lungescu said earlier the alliance would not go into details of NATO allies' deliberations. Quote, <coughs> NATO has offices and liaison arrangements with a number of international organizations in partner countries, and allies regularly assist those alliances on agreements to ensure that they best serve the needs of both NATO and our partners, she said. Lungescu said NATO has a close partnership with Japan that continued to grow. So, um, why, I don't know. I, I bet you NATO's just looking to suck up a bunch of um, intelligence and money from Japan. The fact that they can't even really go to Ukrainians' aid. I know that NATO is not uh, technically uh, allowing Ukraine in its uh, alliance right now. Just trying to use broad terms. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a NATO-allied Country, It's not part of the NATO compact. I don't know how to say this technically, to be honest. But um, I don't know why it's in Japan. And I, The last thing we need right now is more bureaucrats sniffing around for money and promoting war. My actually whole theory about this is this. Ukraine is, a, is getting ready. The Ukraine conflict is a preamble to the proposed Taiwanese conflict that uh, set to occur in 2026 2027 in the taiwan straits when um china comes and tries to take taiwan the democracy that's supposed to not be a democracy it's a rogue state according to china i'm technically on taiwan's side on this side i it, 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 they don't do anything really wrong in the world in my opinion it's like they make chips they have good food they vote I don't really see a lot of craziness coming out of Taiwan. Uh, it seems like a pretty nice place, to be honest. I think I like what the Taiwanese have done with Taiwan. Uh, it seems like things that should, that have been developed there should continue to be developed there. Maybe we don't need the social credit score expanding into islands across the Pacific region. I get all of that. But um, I'm not sure if uh, Japan should be sending its its resources into a war in the Taiwan Straits just because to protect some people uh, from voting uh, to, so that people can continue to vote and that we can still continue to get chips out of Taiwan. It's still a valuable um, proposition to say that, but hey, why don't you just come to war with us and 
protect these chips. We need them. Um, so I'm not sure, but I think that uh, there's going to be a growing number of intelligence officials, intelligence activity, pushing for a war with Taiwan um, to preserve American hegemony. And this is where you can say Matthew is becoming conspiratorial because I, you can look at the future and make a prediction, and that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm, I don't view it as conspiratorial because, again, I'm not trying to say they're trying to turn Taiwan into an island full of cheese. But they could be using Taiwan as a focus point to prevent America from losing its hegemony. Remember, America is really only looking out for America. Um, and they, they will say... Japan is a valuable ally for America, meaning, you know, we'll, we, will, we, will, we will push Japan into the monster if it means that we will get away. That's kind of what America is saying in a way. They're not going to fall for us. They, they expect us to fall for them. And I'm in Japan, so that's my position. My family is now in Japan, so that's my position. So as China and Russia increase their hegemony um, or, you know, vie for more hegemony, then America sees more de-dollarization, sees its position losing in the world, and there's a bunch of psychos in their State Department that want to see America remain on top. Don't blame them for that. Would they push a conflict into the Taiwan Straits and even sacrifice some of the chips factories, you know, blow them up to protect their hegemony? My answer is yes. They'll just say, we'll move the chip technology to America. And that, that will, they, they won't, but that, that's their proposition. We've seen what happened in Afghanistan. They sunk that. To, and what happens is there's a lot of destabilization in that part of the world, meaning that America will hopefully keep its hegemony there. There's not going to be as much challenges with the interregional conflict there. If Japan gets involved with a Taiwanese conflict and loses a bunch of its ships and submarines in the Taiwanese Strait, and prevents or fails to um, prevent the People's Republic of China from taking the island of Taiwan, <coughs> basically, what's going to happen is it's going to destroy the international uh, the region's international relationships in the East Pacific for generations. And America might be thinking that it would benefit them because then because China can't trade with Thai Japan and Japan can't trade with China anymore because of this, all this bombing and stuff and loss of ships and resources and resentment, which is pretty easy to kick up between um, Asians, uh, Asian nations. It will foster even better, stronger ties with America. Um, and then America will fund the next generation of Japanese shipbuilding for its protection. Um, and it will bring China to heel. That's what they like to say in America. And it will maybe Taiwan will become like a like a Guam, the next Guam, and America can extend its borders right up to right up to China. But America is fading right now, um, and furthermore, you know the the population decline in in Japan would mean sacrificing a, a larger percent of a demographic pie to keep an island from becoming. Um, part of the People's Liberation um, Army, the PLA occupied zone of of a South, of an East Asian uh, island nation, uh, Taiwan. Are, is Japan willing to do that? I'm not sure. There's not enough for people to replace all the all the soldiers and airmen and and navy crews that would be lost in such a war. 
But would America care? Would that just America see that as a good thing because it would in, increase dependency on 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 Japan? You know, would it, it would increase Japan's dependency on America? So, as we see more and more NATO and um, uh, think tanks pushing for like using Japan as a launching bay for a Taiwanese conflict in 2026, 2027, as Xi Jinping prepares for his next grasp on, on power in China, we can see NATO also amping up their, their ties. And then, you know, through the world economic forum would, will will help you build a drone fleet. Meanwhile, China already has a drone fleet. Funny how that works. Hey, we don't have enough chips for everybody, but uh, we have enough chips for ourselves in this new drone army we have in China. So that's where I'm getting a little bit loose with the focus because I'm not just reading the news right now. But when thinking about war and uh, NATO opening up a war office in Japan, they call it a liaison office. Like they say, carbon ta- carbon tax is not an air tax. To me, carbon tax Carbon tax is an air tax. A NATO office in Japan is a war office in Japan. Uh, I, I see the only real reason for that is to, um, yeah, prevent uh, solidarity. I'll say that word, solidarity, from uh, bolstering uh, ties between uh, Asian nations um, and creating more of a reason to avoid using the American dollar and uh, being reliant on American systems, which are going... Uh, bat stonk crazy right now. Nobody really wants to be part of it, except for the elites that don't really realize what's going on over there because they got their heads up their asses. So we're going to see more of that moving on in the future. And uh, the the way forward, the way I fo- the way I see it, because I'm going to end the podcast now, is to focus on um, hyper localization. And this could be, you know, to to think about war. I'm just going to shift out of war now. So war. Die for the war, everybody must die for the good, for the good, die for the war, die for the war. Is to push for hyper-localization, just to avoid dying for the good, for the good of the war. Um, One way to do that is to avoid, as much as possible, buying goods, especially meat and and fruit and and produce, affected or uh, imported from other countries. It can't be done automatically all the time. I know that. I'm not a hypocrite. But for example, my uh, supermarket started trying to import a bunch of uh, Mexican pork into Tokyo. And I'm like, well, you guys already have a large Canadian pork selection here. And it's not that big of a supermarket. It's like a little market. I'm kind of going, well, do I want my meat reliance coming to me from Mexico and Canada? And I stopped buying all meat except for um, produced in Japan. And I put an emphasis on meat grown, grown or raised uh, close to me, uh, Chiba, uh, Chiba Prefecture. I'm in Tokyo Prefecture. Um, buying uh, the, the vegetables and stuff like that. Because it's not just buying something that's close to you. It's, it's reinforcing that supply chain that brings it to you um, with the money that you give that supply chain and those farmers and everybody else involved in it. So... If something happens to the supply chain from Mexico that I end up investing a lot of my money into by, you know, buying it and feeding it to my family, I don't want that that supply chain to just go poof the next time uh, Shiznat hits the all-way. Uh, I want to have something that's more regionally focused so that if it, Shiznat hits the all-way, uh, I have a supply chain that's um, 
reinforced with money, with financial incentives close to home that can continue to bring that to me. Of course, you know, if, 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 is not, if Shiznet hits the all way, doesn't mean that the prices are going to stay the same and this, that, and the other thing, but it's going to be a lot easier to bring that stuff to me than try, try to get like Mexican pork through a Chinese blockade in Taiwan. I mean, come on. I don't want that future. That future sucks. So hyper-localization, get what you can close to you as quickly as possible, as soon as possible. Uh, and that's been the Japan What podcast for today. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff, I think. I hope you do too. Remember, you can go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, make a donation at uh, paypal.me forward slash JapanWUT. And I look forward to uh, seeing you next time on the Japan What Podcast. You found it. This is the Japan What Cod Podcast coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo, the armpit of Asia. From the Toshihisa Cho Studios in Tokyo, Japan. I bid thee farewell. Till next time. You